Okay, this is another chapter this morning in the Pleasing to God series. I just can't get this out of my heart. I've had a lot of uh, positive feedback on this, and it's been such a blessing to me. And I've heard of a lot of women, uh, quite a few women, have told me how it has changed their walk. And that's what I want most of all, is that you learn how to please God, that it's a central desire of your heart, and that as you learn to walk with him, you, as you learn to please him, you walk closer, and your life is receiving that fulfillment, that satisfaction, and that joy it's supposed to have and know. In the Pleasing to God series, one of the central questions that comes up in all of our hearts often is, how can I please God? I want to please him. How can I know how to please him? I just, if I could just have a list of things set out before me and says this, 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 and this, and so on and so forth. And so this morning, we're going to study one way of learning how to please God. One of the ways, and this is not the way we're going to study tomorrow, um, today, is, of course, through prayer, asking him. That's the central and first way, is just to go to the Lord and ask him, Lord, how can I please you? What can I do to please you? And he will show you, and he will teach you, and he will also nudge you by the Holy Spirit if what you're doing is not pleasing him. Okay, Um, to please God, you must know him. That's first of all. You must know him. How well do you know God our Father today? It's very difficult to live pleasing to someone you don't know much about. I read a quiz a couple of weeks ago about how well do you know your mate. And these were some of the questions. And if you answered them all, you knew your mate really well. If you answered 10, you kn- I don't have all 10 questions down. But these are some of the questions they said. Uh, and you might think of your husband if you're married this morning and if you know these things about him. What is his favorite color? My husband's very tricky on that. He'll say, well, it depends. If I'm looking at the sky, I like blue. If I'm eating pudding, I don't want blue pudding. So that's typical. (laughs) It's hard to nail him down. (laughs) But what is your favorite color? What, uh, What is his favorite food? What is his favorite song? Maybe he doesn't have one, and maybe he does, and you don't know it. Um... Where would he like to travel if he could go any place in the world? Thought that was an interesting question. I asked Chuck, and uh, he told me, and it's interesting. Okay. <laughs> what man does he admire most? What living man here on earth does he admire most? If he could be any man in the world today, who would he be? I thought that was a really interesting question. Um, what's his favorite time of the day? Maybe you don't even, maybe you've never stopped to think of your favorite time of the day. Now, what does he like best about you? Some women really don't know. And what does he dislike about you? I know uh, a lady whose husband dislikes her laugh. She has a very raucous, loud laugh. And he hates her laugh. And uh, for years she ignored the fact that he hated it till he got pretty strong with her and finally just let her know. And... Um, I don't particularly, I, well, I want to know what he dislikes, but I don't really want to know. Are you sort of like that? You know, it might be kind of painful, and yet I don't want him to dislike anything about me. So, um, interesting. But what pleases God? What does God maybe not particularly think is so keen in your life? How well do you know God? How well do you know what pleases him and doesn't please him? This morning, we're going to deal with how to learn to really know God through his word. 
we're going to take one psalm and go through most of it, not all of it, but most of it, and find out how this psalm, what this psalm teaches us on pleasing God. I love this um, study. I, this is a psalm that I go over and over and over, and it's one that should be quite familiar to you. Psalm 34. Please turn to it. We sing the first verse all the time. I will bless the Lord at all times. All right, we're going to start with verses 1 to 3. In a very practical way, we're going to learn what pleases God. Shall we stop and pray just a moment? Oh, move across this room this morning by your Holy Spirit, Lord. Open our understanding to receive and to know and to just take those things that are meant for us this morning. No one is here by accident. It's in your design that these women are here. Feed the hungry souls. You promised in your word that you would, and you said, Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And my earnest prayer this morning for this group is that you will fill them with that bread of heaven. Satisfy the hungry heart. Lord, I pray if there's an indifferent heart this morning here, that you will turn her back to the path of righteousness, bring her out of her indifference. I pray for the heart that's bitter this morning, that you'll release her from all bitterness in the name of Jesus. I pray for the aching, hurting heart that came this morning and she's grieving so much inside that she can hardly hear, and she's saying, Oh, speak to my painting heart, Lord. Help her to receive that something from you that will give her the strength and courage that she needs. Lord, we pray for those who are walking in peace and joy and fellowship, that they will climb to higher heights in you. Renew our vision in you. Help us to fight the good fight of faith. If any of us are kicked back and not just really in the forefront of the battle, I pray that you'll deal with our hearts today. Give us a new zeal and a new energy to walk in these last days in just a mighty, powerful way with you. Let the Holy Spirit come upon us with renewed power this morning. We just ask right at this moment that you will touch every heart in this room with renewed power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there might be joy and peace and just a real uh, reception of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm. I just feel his touch and praise him for it. Psalm 34, the first three verses. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. What do we learn about pleasing the heart of God in these first three verses? What are we supposed to do? Yeah, say it again. Praise him. Praise him. That's what we're supposed to do. You know, I was with um, Don and Jean McClure last week, and we were talking over uh, the balance of the moving of the Holy Spirit so we don't get carried away on this side or on this side. And Jean turned to me and she said, well, you know, you are the most Pentecostal of the three of us, and I, or of the four, she was including Chuck, and I said, how could you be so cruel <laughs> to call me Pentecostal? And uh, But, you know, I grew up in a Pentecostal church, and I left it, and I am not Pentecostal in, 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 in um, what do I want to say today? Huh? 
theology, right, that perfect, Carol. But I, I, I love that freedom of the Spirit, and I love that rejoicing and joy in the Lord, and I love that abandonment and praise where we can be free in praising the Lord. We are so tightened up sometimes, and, and I want us to feel that freedom of Calvary to just uh, praise Him, to open our hearts and just sing unto Him. One of my greatest fears is that we will lose the spirit of worship here. And I think we need to be praying for a greater restoration of worship at Calvary. God wants it. He wants us to sing like we used to in a tent. You know, maybe he's going to have to put us back in a tent to free us up a little bit. We have this nice sanctuary and these nice seats, and we're all so comfortable. And it's easy to let our minds wander when we're singing um, to me, you know, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice and our minds are way out in the field someplace. But God wants him to, us to praise him and worship him with a freedom. If you feel like lifting your hands is a sign of love and surrender, feel free to do it. It's beautiful. He loves us to stretch out our arms and lift our arms and praise him. Don't be afraid of it. I will bless the Lord at all times, at all times and continually. Living Bible says, I will praise the Lord no matter what happens. Do you do that? No matter what happens, you praise him. You praise him continually. Verse 2, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. Not boast in me and not boast in other people, but my soul will make her boast in the Lord. This is so beautiful. The humble, you know what that word humble there means? discouraged and afflicted. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. The discouraged and afflicted person is going to hear you praising God and thank him. Now, I don't mean you're supposed to go around and go, glory, 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 hallelujah, 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 PTL, 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 that's not it. You're supposed to say, oh, you know what happened in Hawaii a couple of weeks ago? This woman lost her ring. They prayed, and three hours later, God helped her find her ring. That wasn't a coincidence. That was God at work. Speak of his wonderful works. Tell other people what God has done for you. As your soul makes her boast in the Lord, that discouraged person is going to say, Hey, if he did it for them, he can do it for me. The humble shall hear thereof and be what? glad. What is a discouraged and afflicted person like? They're down. They're disheartened. Their countenance is sad. The thoughts in their mind are depressive. And oh, Satan loves to put a spirit of depression on us. But you know, when somebody calls you up and they have that joy of the Lord flowing through them and they're praising him and they're giving thanks for what he's done, what happens to you? You pick up on that. We send, I don't want to get uh, metaphysical here, but we do have energy that we're sending out all the time. I've been doing a lot of study. I bought a book that thick on the brain. I love to study the brain. With, <laughs> I know I'm a weird lady, but <laughs> um, it fascinates me. And Grandpa is talking about, I think I might have shared this with you, how he holds the baby in his arms and studies and plays classical music because it's supposed to help the synapse gaps in the brain, the neurons do something great. Yeah, and uh, so he plays this classical music and the Christian music, you know, and we sing to her because it's supposed to be good for tiny babies. And, um, and so um, we, our brains send out an energy 
And that's why I uh, am a strong receiver uh, of people's energy. And this is one of the things that made me start studying the brain, is I can sit next to a person in church, and if they're hyper, I pick up this hyper energy, and I'm like this. If I sit next to Jan in church, Jan is very quiet-spirited. And by the end of church, I'm very quiet-spirited. And I need to sit by quiet-spirited people, believe me. (laughs) But I like the other kind. (laughs) I relate so well to them. But, um, and when you're all depressed and all this, you know, it shows. And uh, when you're joyful in the Lord, people pick up on that joy that you're feeling. But remember that joy is to be sensible. It's to be with wisdom. It is to speak forth the wonderful works of God. Let your boast be in the Lord. Living Bible says, I will boast of all his kindness to me. I was reading Psalm 103 the other day about God crowning us with his loving kindness and tender mercy. And I could see this crown that each day, or even maybe while we sleep, it's still on our head, of his, can you see him crowning you with tender, uh, loving kindness and tender mercy? Uh, It's just so precious to me that God just places us on, and as we sit here in this room this morning, his loving kindness and tender mercy are crowning us. It's beautiful. Think about that. Tell others about it. Do you know that God's loving kindness is with you continually, like a crown on your head? And what does a crown denote? Authority, kingship. When God puts a crown on your head, it means something. It means that with his tender uh, mercy and loving kindness on you, you can face the world with authority and confidence. And that wasn't in the lesson this morning. The Lord just kind of is pushing that in my heart. Okay, third verse. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. And I've gone over this and over this in class. Every time I've done the message on Mary, I tell you how Mary and Elizabeth got together and they exalted and magnified the Lord. How we need to do that. Oh, God is so good. I bless his name. I praise his name. I exalt his name. I love that chorus. He is exalted. He is exalted. Uh, Creation will praise him. The saints will adore him for he is exalted on high. Start singing with a friend. We start, I had to speak at the conference center um, a couple of weeks ago on a Friday evening and uh, for the Yorba Linda group. And on the way up, we started praying, those that were with me. We had the most wonderful time exalting and praising God's name and just rejoicing in his wonderfulness to us and what he was going to do up there. And we just together exalted and praised his name. When you're um, on the phone with your friend, just say, oh, let's praise the Lord together. I just think, you know, we don't know how many phones are tapped these days. There are a lot of weird things going on. Wouldn't it be neat if one of these people that tapped your line, Chuck's phone was definitely tapped for a while, his um, inner office phone, and they found the tap, and they were able to, you know, da-da-da-da-da. But nevertheless, I thought, oh, boy, they must have heard some good stuff. (laughs) Oh, praise the Lord, brother. (laughs) And I just thought, oh, good. It's probably recorded on a tape recorder someplace, and somebody's going to play it, and Be drawn to the Lord through it. Okay, oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's just stop for a minute and magnify the Lord together and just exalt his name. If you don't want to speak out his praises, just speak him in your heart this morning. Just magnify him. Turn to the person next to you and say, I just praise God. He's wonderful. You want to do it? Okay. (laughs) 
It's hard to stop, isn't it? It's wonderful. It fills you with joy to praise and magnify him. We are so self-centered. When we get our minds off ourselves and on God, doesn't it just work miracles within us? Oh, magnify the Lord with me. And pray, grab a friend and say, oh, come and exalt the Lord and magnify the Lord. Okay, verses 4 to um, 10. I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and what? Delivereth them. Praise God. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the woman that trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Okay, this is pleasing God by what? Trusting him. Pleasing God by trusting him. If you want to put brackets in your Bible from verses uh, 4 to 10, you can put pleasing God by trusting him. Verses 1 to four, uh, one to 3, pleasing God by praising him. I mark my Bible all up. Some people think that's terrible, and, and others uh, love to do it. It's just, uh, it's, I, I love my Bible, and if the Lord inspires me with something, I put it in, and I write it in, and, and Chuck does that too, and I have hearts and arrows and exclamation marks and words, wow, and all kinds of things, because, you know, it just blesses me as I read along. And God shows, I put a lot of dates in. Uh, God will give me a scripture when I'm going through a trial, and I date it, and I go back and I go, oh, boy, in 1977, on June 14th, oh, was that a wowie of a day. But God met me, and he did this, and I remember he gave me this, and I stood on the authority of that, and he delivered me out of this. What a blessing. Okay, David said, I sought the Lord, and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Fear is described as a crippling emotion, and it is. Fear is the opposite of what? Faith or trust. It's the opposite of faith or trust. Worse than that, fear is basically unbelief. Fear is basically unbelief. You do not believe what God is saying when you are filled with fear. Because God will take away fear. And perfect love for God casts out all fear. David said, in what time I am afraid, I will, what? Trust. I will trust. We are to trust. We are not to be afraid with a terrifying fear. Um, I love Ramona uh, Mush's definition of unbelief. She said, unbelief is the dark room where we develop our negatives. Remember that? Unbelief is the dark room where we develop our negatives and how are negatives destroyed? With light. When the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the truth come in, the negatives are destroyed. Some of you are in the dark room this morning and you are so full of fear. That isn't God's plan for you. David said, I sought the Lord, and he heard me, and he delivered me out of all my fear. Just reading a newspaper or hearing the 10 o'clock news on TV could fill us with terror. It could. We subscribe to uh, Time magazine, 
And if you can get through an issue of that without asking the Lord to remove fear, you're doing pretty well. Because it just it shows what the world is like today. And the front pages of the newspaper and the crime and all this are enough to fill your heart with fear. There are a lot of people who do not take the newspaper because of that. They can't stand all that stuff being programmed in their mind. I want to know what's going on, and I want to know where it's happening and when it's happening, and I want to know what those Sams are doing in Lebanon and how, what Syria is going to do about it and what Israel is going to do about it. I was very interested that all the Americans have been asked to leave Lebanon and the embassy has been cleared out. And we're getting some interesting reports that Chuck will share with you, I know, eventually. But uh, we're keeping our eyes on the Middle East. It's getting very serious. We have our carriers in the Mediterranean, and the Russians have their um, carriers elsewhere, and um, some very interesting things are happening. And, of course, the Pope's being shot has just had us all just going, oh, Chuck said it's one thing when they shoot political people, but it's horrible when they start after religious people. And I certainly agree with him. David, who wrote this psalm, is talking about the time that he fled from Abimelech. He went into the territory of the Philistines, and he was terrified that Abimelech was going to capture him and kill him. And so what you know what he did? He acted crazy. He drooled, and he carried on in front of the king. He pretended to be crazy. Now, this is not very regal behavior for the man whom God had anointed to be king, is it? But he says he sought the Lord, and he was delivered from all his fears. That was after all his crazy behavior. Now, why he didn't do it before he behaved like that, I don't know. But often, don't we get in the middle of some crazy behavior, and then we start seeking the Lord? I say, oh, Lord, deliver me out of all this, and I know I've been foolish, but would you deliver me out and take this fear away? And in his preciousness, he does. Okay, often when we go to prayer, we pray from a point of fear rather from a place of trust. I found myself several weeks ago down on my knees, and I was going, Oh, Lord, would you do that? And all of a sudden, I stopped and realized I was so fearful that God wasn't going to move in the situation. And the Holy Spirit pointed it out to my heart and impressed my mind to trust God, not to pray all tense and bottled up and scared, but to release to the Lord. And I said, oh, Lord, I trust you. I trust your hand in this. Thank you for the release from this fear. Thank you for knowing that what you said in your word you will do. So when you are praying, be sure you're not praying from that point of fear. If you feel that fear in your heart, ask God to give you that trust. Do what David did. Seek the Lord and know that he hears you and he'll deliver you from all your fears. Now, verse 5, they looked unto him. Who looked unto him? The people that were with David looked unto David. And when David looked unto the Lord, they looked unto the Lord. And it says, and their faces were not ashamed. I love this in the Living Bible, verse 5. It says, this poor man cried to the Lord, no, uh, let's see, for I cried to him and he answered me, verse 4. He freed me from all my fears. Others, too, were radiant at what he did for them. Theirs was no downcast look of rejection. Again, it comes to your effect on others. When you look to God and say, deliver me from my fears, and they know that God heard you and he delivered you, what happens to them? What happened to you this morning when you heard about the lady finding her ring? You felt joyful. You knew if God could help her find her ring, he can help you in your circumstance, in your problems, and your hard places. 
You're lifted up. Others seeing you seek the Lord will look into him and their faces instead of being ashamed. Living Bible says we're what? Radiant. Radiant. Can you see the person all downcast and sad and brokenhearted? And they look unto God. Those that were with David saw what David did, and they were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. One of the translations said their faces were not downcast. Living Bible and Amplified say lightened and radiant, and I love it. What effect does your fear or your trust have on people around you? I shared with you when we were in the airport in Copenhagen on our last trip to Israel how the lady came up and told me, you are in a very dangerous position, and here were our 150 people going through security that we shouldn't have had to go through, but we did because of um, this bomb threat on our group and to our group. And when the lady told me, I immediately went to prayer, and the thing that people said afterwards when they found out, but you didn't show it. You were so happy. You just, because God gave me peace and trust. If I had gotten this look of, ooh, everybody in the group could have been infected by it. It's like chicken pox. It spreads fast. It doesn't, I mean, it just, if you're downcast, if I had been fearful, they'd say, Case, 102 years old, and if she's fearful, um, you know, I'll, you know, what's going to happen to me? I'm not supposed to say those things because that's, we're going to deal with the tongue pretty soon. But I'm not going to tell you my real age either. <laughs> I might. Okay, so uh, we what the way you trust in God affects other people. They looked unto him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried unto the Lord. David was not poor in material things; he was poor in spirit. He was down, he was brokenhearted, but he cried unto the Lord. God heard, and God saved him out of a few of his troubles. What does it say? All. If you're an underliner, underline all. God saves you out of all your troubles. Today, you might be a poor lady sitting in class. Your heart might be broken. You might be being chased by the enemy. Your life might be in jeopardy. If you'll cry unto God out of the poverty of spirit, he will deliver you out of all your troubles. Now, that doesn't mean if you're in a, a very difficult marriage and all this awful stuff is going on that God, when you go home today, is going to have your suitcases packed and a new home and a whole new husband and a whole new, you know. That's not the way he does it. But he gives you that peace and that strength and that grace and that knowledge and that wisdom to walk through the fire as the children of Israel did unburned. You can be in the fire, though floodwaters can be rising, but you won't drown. You seek God, and he will deliver you out of all your troubles. Um, I like you to compare that fourth and sixth verse. David said in verse 4, I sought the Lord. And then in verse 6, he said, this poor man cried. That comes first. You must seek the Lord. You must cry unto the Lord. God knows the desperation of your spirit. And when you're desperate before him, you'll get answers. A lot of times we kind of just go to the Lord kind of haphazardly and, Lord, I'm in a bad circumstance. Will you do something? That isn't what he wants. He wants us to cry out of the depths of our heart. Oh, seek the Lord from the very bottom of your heart. God, if you don't deliver me, there is no hope. You come and you deliver me, and he will. 
and he will deliver you out of all your troubles. In verse 4, it said he delivered him from his fears, and in verse 6, delivered him, uh, saved him out of his troubles. Compare those two verses, beautiful verses. Then verse 7, let's read it together. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and what? Delivereth them. Don't you love that verse? Oh, I love that verse. I just think everyone in the class should memorize it if you don't already know it. I use that verse over and over and over. Chuck was gone Monday and Tuesday of this week, and he was supposed to have been gone Wednesday. And Jeff was gone with him, so I was alone in the house. Just before they all left, Cheryl and Brian went with them too. And just before they left, Sherry said, Mom, you ought to get that machete out. Well, we have a machete that's like this that we got in Guatemala. And I went to bed, and the words, you ought to get the machete out. We're going to thought, well, maybe the Lord might, da-da-da, you know. (laughs) So I got the machete out, and I put it by the side of the bed. And, And it doesn't sound very brave, does it? But I really wasn't afraid, but Sherry had said it, and I thought, well, the Lord knows. Man, I don't know. I don't want to be foolish. So, um... I went right to sleep without any trouble Sunday night, and I went right to sleep Monday night without any trouble because I just said, oh, the angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him, and he delivereth them. And I just, you know, I'm very visual, and I could see my angel. <laughs> you know, and I just, not really, but, you know, in your spiritual eyes, you can. And so um, Tuesday night, nobody was supposed to be home, and I'd fallen into sleep. At 12 o'clock, I woke up, and our hall light was on. You know, that's when the angel of the Lord better camp around you. (laughs) And I looked at the light, and I knew I hadn't left it on, and I thought, well, somebody's in the house. And Chuck's due back tomorrow night, and everybody else is gone. Well, maybe it's Greg and Jan. Maybe they're on their way home. And so I thought, well, I'll just listen. And then I said, oh, Lord, like that. I just, I mean, oh, you got to do something. (laughs) And I thought, is it time for the machete? (laughs) So um, about that time, I heard the front door open and close, and I thought, this is it, Kate. And I said, who is it? And my bravest voice was, who is it? <laughs> and uh, so this big voice comes back, it's me. And I thought, oh, it's Chuck. It's Chuck, what's he doing home? And I thought, that's not Chuck. That's not his voice. I know his voice. <laughs> and so I said, who? <laughs> and so he said, it's me. And I thought, oh, it is Chuck. Well, he <laughs> he came home a day early, with, yeah, a night early, and uh, he said that the last thing Sherry said to him as he got out of the motorhome is, Dad, be careful of that machete. But I'll tell you, I used to be a woman who could not have stayed alone. I had the most horrifying nightmares as a child. I would wake up. My dad used to run in the room with a crowbar because I'd scream so loudly. They'd just know somebody was in my room. I had French windows, and they put all kinds of locks and everything on them. And I had the uh, nightmares clear after we were married. It was horrible. I used to dig my nails in Chuck's arms the first year, uh, few years we were married. And I'd wake up saying, I'd scare the life out of him. And he'd go, okay. Yeah, it was just terrible. And finally, I realized through a scripture just like this, that there was fear someplace in the subconscious, and God could deliver me, and he delivered me just like that. And I have never been afraid to be alone at night since then. 
and it's been glorious. I'm not very often alone. It's very, very rare, but um, I just lay me down in peace to sleep. He giveth his beloved rest, and it was glorious. So I do praise him. But the angel of the Lord encampeth round about. I use that both nights, and or all three nights, and I want you to memorize that. You can be out in the most horrifying circumstances and claim this scripture. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. Uh, I have known of person after person after person that just quoted the scripture in terrible circumstances, and God does deliver them. Now, when I talk about the angel of the Lord, I'm not, um, you know, talking about some little floaty creatures that you're supposed to suddenly visualize with white flapping wings and big, you know, whatever. It isn't that. It's that your spiritual eyes will be open to know that they're theirs. Remember when Elijah prayed that uh, his servant would see the chariots of the Lord all around the encampment, and God opened the servant's eyes, and he saw them. God has chariots encamped around about us to protect us and, and all kinds of things uh, to deliver us and to hold us steady. I have a lesson that I'm working up on enduring uh, as seeing the invisible in Hebrews 11.27. Don't turn to it, but uh, it tells about the people in Hebrews, the 11th chapter there, who endured as seeing him who is invisible. Their spiritual eyes were open. Tozier talks about two types of people here on earth. Those who uh, live in a world that's inhabited by spiritual beings and God walks and talks with them and, and all these marvelous things and they have answers to prayer and, and um, oh, all these glorious things. And then he talks about the other people who live in the world where their feet are on the ground and they're, you know, in the material world and it's all full of cars and, and uh, imps and airplanes and all kinds of, I mean, just, you know, and you can choose which world you want to live in. And I want to be one that endures as seeing him who's invisible. When things get really heavy with me, I say, Lord, let me have a glimpse of those things that are laid up for us. Let me move into that world of light and peace and joy. Let me live in that world. I'm a pilgrim and stranger in this world. My citizenship is in heaven, and I want to endure as seeing the invisible. Um, and when we talk about the angel of the Lord encamping around about us, it literally means pitches his tent around you literally means that there's a tent that God pitches around you with this angel of the Lord to defend you, to protect you, to rescue you, and to deliver you. Receive that this morning. God wants you in these last days of terror to be aware of that. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him to deliver them. Let it just, just visualize him this morning. I sometimes visualize just this dome of the Lord around me. I, we get in some crazy circumstances, and we need to see it. Sunday morning during third service, there were two men in church that uh, would have stricken great terror to my heart because they were here to cause trouble. And uh, the ushers saw them, and uh, Romaine warned him if they moved a toenail, he'd have them in jail. So uh, God has his angel maybe in the guise of Romaine sometime. Who would think that? <laughs> but um, 
uh, the angel of the Lord, and I was picturing Chuck with the angel of the Lord encamped around him with all these assassinations. It could be a very heavy fear with me. You never know. God is an anointed servant of Jesus Christ, and uh, Satan would love to have him out of the way. But the angel of the Lord encampeth round about him and to protect and to deliver him. Verse 8, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You that have had babies, one of the hardest things in the world is when you try to get them to taste something and they won't do it. Chuck absolutely can fall apart over that. It would make him so angry if he had something really good on the tip of the spoon and he'd try to offer it to one of the children and they wouldn't take it, especially if it was something really yummy, not green beans or one of those things that they spit out so quickly, but one of those yummy things and they shake their heads and, you know, tighten their lips and all this. But, and he's going, taste it, just try it, just try it. Well, you know, the Lord is saying that today. Taste and see that the Lord is good, and blessed is the man that trusteth him. Amplified, it says, oh, how happy to be envied, and all this is the man that trusts in the Lord. Verse 8, blessed is the man that trusteth in him. Try it and see. Try everything I'm saying to you this morning. When we were at Ein Gedi, when we were in Israel this time, there was a girl from Colorado uh, who just happened to be at Ein Gedi, and I was standing there, and she said, where are you from? And I said, California. She said, why are, uh, I said, why are you here? I asked her where she was from, and she said, Colorado. I said, well, why are you here? And she said, oh, I suppose I'm just seeking truth. And I said, uh, well, do you believe there's a God? And she said, I'm seeking to know. And I said, well, ask him if he's real to reveal himself to you. He will. Just ask him if he's real. And when we parted, she said she would. And what I was saying, oh, taste and see. I wanted to do it. You know when you say, oh, that's so neat. That's what David's saying. Say, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the woman that trusts in him. So from verses um, 4 to 10, we're learning about trust. Oh, fear the Lord, ye of saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. Now, this is a whole different kind of fear that we're talking about at this point. Put God to the test and see how kind he is. See for yourself uh, the way his mercy showered down on those who trust him, Living Bible says. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Praise and trust, please, God. This morning when you trust him, you know, one of the worst things that can happen to you is to have people distrust you. I would hate to not be trustworthy. I would hate for people to think they couldn't trust me. It's a terrible thing. Can you imagine how it grieves the heart of God when you don't trust him? Think of it. When all he does for you is pours out love and goodness and graciousness and crowns you with tender mercies and loving kindness, and you don't trust him, but you allow fear to be in your heart, you don't believe his promises, you don't act on them, how it must grieve and hurt his heart. Just the opposite of pleasing and bringing joy to him. Verses 9 to 13. I wanted to do some more on 8 and 9, but I won't. Uh, On 9 we'll start. Oh, fear the Lord, ye saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. This is the strong lions that... Uh, forage around trying to find food. They have trouble. They can be young and healthy, and the lion is called the king of the beasts, right? But he can have want. But if you really trust the Lord, you're not going to want any 
What does it say there? Good thing. What does that mean? Good for you. All things work together for good to those that love the Lord, that are called according to his purpose, not want any good thing. There are an awful lot of things you won't have in your life. But you know what? They weren't good for you. Right? Right. Okay. There are two kinds of fear spoken of here. The first fear is spoken of in verse 4, where God delivered David from all his fears. That is to be frightened and afraid and terrorized. This is the opposite to trust, and David was delivered from this. The fear in this verse, verse 8, I mean, verse 7, I, I want to bring this out. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. This fear is the reverence of God. It is a whole different kind of fear. Don't claim this scripture if you do not have a godly fear in your heart because it doesn't work. You must have God's fear in your heart because the promise is conditional. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. Fear in this verse, uh, defined by uh, some commentaries and by Webster's Dictionary and by uh, Strong's, is profound reverence and awe, honor and respect. And this is more of my definition for who he is and what he is. Recognition that he is God and he has the right to your life. You're his servant and he can do anything with his life, that, with your life that he wants to. There is none like him, and he is our king, and we are his bondservants. He is our ruler and our master. He is gracious, faithful, loving, kind, holy, and pure. One of the tragic results of our age, <clears throat> pardon me, where refinement and manners have been shoved aside, is our terrible disrespect of God. And with that disrespect has come also a dishonoring of his holiness and a casualness towards sin. And we see it among the body of believers every place. A casual attitude towards sin. We need to make a deep study of the fear of God, this reverence of God, and how it affects our lives. I don't know of any, other, any better study for women than Joy Dawson's tapes on the fear of God. You can hardly hear them without being somewhat transformed. And Joy Dawson's The Fear of God. I know women who have heard him four or five times and are going to listen to him some more, and I certainly am too. Proverbs 8.13, don't turn to it, but it says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. It's to hate evil. And by fear of the Lord, men depart from evil. Proverbs 16.6, if you are walking in deliberate sins today, you do not have the fear of God in your heart, and you cannot claim Psalm 34, 7. If you are walking in deliberate sin today, knowing that this is not God's will for your life, by the fear of the Lord, men depart from sin, and they hate sin. David said, I hate sin with a perfect hatred. Um, <clears throat> pardon me. Because it, why is fear or deep reverence for God so important to our pleasing him? We learn first to please him through praising him, secondly to please him through trusting him, and now pleasing him through the, his fear being in our hearts, that reverence. Why is it so important? Because it is this deep love and honoring of him that makes us hate sin and forsake it. 
Does it grieve your heart today when you sin? Praise God. All of us should be able to say yes this morning. It should hurt you so badly to grieve someone who loves you so dearly that he gave his son to die on a cross for you. When you deliberately sin, when you sin ignorantly and you realize that you've sinned and, and botched up things, it should grieve you that you've sinned even in ignorance because you grieve that heart of love. His fear must be in your heart if you are to hate evil and depart from it and forsake the sins that you're in. Hear the psalmist cry in verse 9, Oh, fear the Lord, ye saints. Fear him. He's beseeching you. He's saying, oh, there are so many blessings for you. If you will allow this godly fear to work in your heart, you can not please God and love sin. You can't. There is no way you can please the heart of God and love sin. Joy tells uh, the story of girls and women who come to her, and they get involved in affair, uh, an affair with a man. And they come in, and they say, oh, Joy, pray for me. I'm just so bound. Pray for my release. And she prayed, she said. And then they would be released. A couple months later, they come back. Oh, Joy, I've gotten all in bondage again. It's a new person, blah, 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 blah. Will you pray for me? And Joy said she finally came to a place where she said to him, I will not pray for you anymore. You have a love for that sin in your heart or you wouldn't keep repeating it. And you have to pray that God will give you a hatred for that sin. And if you are committing the same sin over and over and over, don't go, oh, I'm so weak. I don't know how I get into this. I just, oh, da, da, da. I'm so gorgeous. I'm irresistible, you know, or whatever lie Satan has told you. Whatever it is, it is a lie from him. You love the sin and you do not have that fear of God in your heart that makes you hate that sin. If you ask God to give you a hatred for that sin, he will do it. He's faithful. He hears your cry. He hears your prayer. He'll answer. He'll take that desire out of your heart. But you must ask him to do it. And I personally am fed up with hearing of that sin in the body. I'm just sick of it. God is coming for a pure body, holy. God's chief characteristic is not love. It is what? Holiness. What do the seraphim and the cherubim sing around the throne? Holy, holy, holy. I think we should all do a study of what holiness means. And we should want to walk in that holiness and that purity and that perfect hatred for sin. I'm doing another study. I'm working up now, and I don't have it together enough to present it, and I'm sorry that I don't, but it's on broken fellowship. When we were in Hawaii, I heard a minister just give that one scripture in 1 John 1, 6. If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie. And, you know, I see so many Christians, and I'll, there's something wrong. There'll be this gray-black countenance. And you look at him, and you say, how are you doing with the Lord? Oh, fine, I witnessed to so many people at work, and I did this, and I did that, and I did, ah. Uh. And you know it's not right. And you look at him, and you just kind of know. You see, their fellowship with God is broken, and they're lying, and they're walking in darkness. What's it mean to walk in darkness? Well, any of us can turn out a light at night and walk in a room, and we know immediately you can't tell where you're going. You bump into things. You know, when your fellowship with God is broken, 
and you walk in darkness, or you walk in darkness and that breaks the fellowship, and then you don't have that light of his guidance, you get lots of bumps and bruises that if you'd walked in the light, you'd never have gotten. Am I telling truth? We've all experienced it, I think. But I, was, I want to do that study. If we break fellowship, then we don't have that light to guide us on the way. And fellowship is broken through sin. Sin breaks fellowship with God. And the tragic results are multitude. And one of the first results of broken fellowship is your joy goes. It's like that. Without the fellowship with the Father, that marvelous, continuous communion, joy goes. And I see people around Calvary, and I, they once were so happy and joyful and blessed in him, and it's gone. And you know what took it away? Sin. Broken fellowship. That's a, a message that God is really burning in my heart, and there's lots more to bring. But I want God to show me. I've asked him to show me how it grieves his heart. And I really want to understand the pain that it brings to him, that broken fellowship. Okay. Unless that deep reverence or fear of God is at work in your heart to make you hate sin, you will not have the wisdom and the knowledge and the good judgment you need. I, another clue into a person's not walking as they should with the Lord is that their judgment gets just a little bit off. In fact, this is usually my first clue to a person where they'll, uh, they used to say, uh, they'll quote a scripture, or they'll say something, and it's right on. And all of a sudden they say something, you go, huh, what did you say? Just a little bit off. Your judgment goes. And when your judgment and you don't have good judgment and wisdom and knowledge from the Lord, you're programmed for failure. You're not going to be uh, walking in a path that's going to be fulfilling or satisfying. How I pray that God will plant his Fear in your heart. We're going to do a crash course of about seven minutes on the school of the fear of the Lord. I've taken a whole study in this, and it starts verse 11, and it uh, ends at verse 14, and we're just going to go through it very rapidly in the next few minutes. David says, Come, my children, listen to me. I will teach you to revere and worshipfully fear the Lord. That is what it is, is to revere and worshipfully fear him. I cannot extend... Um, expressions like uh, the man upstairs and, you know, the guy in the sky and things like that. I think it's so irreverent. Can you imagine approaching the God who created the universe, who sits in the sapphire throne with this rainbow behind him and, and rules and, and uh, created you and me and, and all the things he's done, and you refer to him so glibly and carelessly and irreverently. I hate it. We come to the throne of grace boldly, but not brashly. We enter his presence with the utmost of reverence, deep love. We realize who he is. And when you realize who God is, you no more can refer to him as the man upstairs. It's in not knowing who he really is that you do that. Oh, learn who he is and learn to really reverence him. David said, I will teach you to revere and worshipfully fear the Lord. And there are three points he hit. The first, man, first one is in verse 13. Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. And because we have studied this before, and I do have a tape on it, I'm not going to amplify these very much. But remember, we're studying what the fear of the Lord is in this particular section of the scripture. 
And it begins with our mouth and our tongue. And as I said in my study before, I don't know why it didn't begin with the Ten Commandments and coveting and adultery and profaning the Sabbath or something like that, but it didn't. It began where you and I are, where each one of us are living today, right? Who is perfect with their tongue all the time? David said, Keep thy tongue from evil. If the fear of the Lord is in you and you start to say something you shouldn't say, you're going to feel that nudging. And he's going to say, doesn't please me. Don't say that. And, you know, we're so careless with our tongues, aren't we? I've started some things many times. I've started to say them, and I know it doesn't make much fun in a group. And I just, you know, this juicy thing comes up in my mind. I go, oh, did you hear? And the Holy Spirit goes, no. I want to tell it. If you have my fear in your heart and you want to please me, you won't tell it. And I stop and go, I can't tell it. And they all go, oh, the Lord's teaching me now to not say the first few words, oh, I heard. Oh, I can't tell it. He wants me to stop before the oh, I heard, you know, so that my dear friends don't have to suffer through, oh, what was she going to say that she can't tell? (laughs) But keep your tongues from evil. Don't say that thing. We all know bad stuff about people. Everybody does. Don't do it. It hurts so bad, and it wounds spirit so badly. And we go through so much pain because of what somebody said. And many times it's just a careless word that they really didn't have that much emotion behind. But by the time it hits its target, it has wounded so much. Which brings me to this. If you are into the color keys, and a lot of us are, and I like to know what colors are right, and I'm glad to know I'm a winner, and I should wear black, red, white, blah, 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 you know. But the other day, uh, a couple weeks ago, I went out for lunch, and I wasn't feeling terrific anyhow. And I sat down with this lady, and the first thing she said to me is, Oh, can we wear that color? I felt okay till she said that. And then I thought, I don't know. I don't think I really thought about it can I wear this color? And I, I looked at it, and I, thought, I said, well, I, I don't know. I, and I didn't want to talk to her about the color. I didn't really care about it. And so in this knowing of the color key, will you please use wisdom? Will you please have some fear of the Lord in your heart? Because it can be kind of a put-down to people. You can watch when they come into church and say, color key one, color key two, uh, winter, summer, spring, fall. Oh, she's a fall, and she's wearing spring. How awful. Oh, I mean, you know, and you forget all about what's in their heart. We can do the same thing with the temperaments. In fact, people are afraid in the body to be a choleric because the choleric is so strong and such a doer and all this kind of stuff. And I talked to a a girl about a month ago, and she said, Oh, I am such a choleric last night. I was just pacing the floor saying, God, take away this choleric spirit from me and I'm, or temperament. And I said, and I'm praying, oh, God, make me a choleric so I can be strong and a doer and get done all this stuff I need to get done. Now, he doesn't change our temperaments. And you that don't know what I'm talking about, we just finished a couple of retreats where Florence Latower talked about the temperaments and um, Tim LaHaye has written these books on the temperaments and they categorized all the world <laughs> uh, for temperaments and then they bro- broadened it out to 12 and then it's broadened very, very much more than that. But nevertheless, don't use these things uh, as put-downs for people and don't judge people by this. The, all these things are supposed to do are enhance us and open up our understanding. They're not being given to us to uh, judge one another and put people down and, and make people feel awful about themselves. And then 
uh, keeping our lips from evil, the obvious things of swearing or or uh, just saying bad, ugly, rotten things about any situation, being negative, not praising the Lord, programming fear into others. All these things are ways of, of uh, not keeping your tongue from evil. I think that we need to ask God what the evil uh, would be in our own lives and, and um, with our tongue, and let him just say, Lord, I give you permission to let your Holy Spirit tap me on the shoulder anytime I speak evil and it breaks your heart. And your lips from speaking guile, which is deceit. And Joy Dawson has this wonderful story that I don't have all the details straight on. But it's uh, a woman got a new hairdo and she came to Joy and asked her how she liked the hairdo. Now we've all had that happen. Where somebody came to us with a brand new haircut and maybe we didn't like it as well as the one before. And what do you do about it? How do you handle it graciously? Are you deceitful? Do you say, oh yeah, that's great because you just love your friend. You don't want to hurt her feelings. Or are you honest with her? Uh, do you keep your lips from speaking guile? And um, deceit is an ugly thing. If you have the fear of God in your heart, you will not want to be deceitful. David said in the 32nd Psalm, um, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, and who, uh, whose sin is covered, and in whose spirit there is no guile. That's the happy blessed man. God does not want us to be deceitful. I was reading the other day on um, a way of detecting hostility in people. And one way is uh, if they give you a compliment with a barb in it. I once had a compliment from a lady. Uh, I went to a convention, and we didn't have enough money for me to buy any new clothes. And and um, so I wore my last five years' clothes, I guess. And I, uh, this one lady came up to me, and she said, Hmm, I really like that dress. I liked it last year when you wore it, too. Hmm, a little hostility there, lady. <laughs> I didn't know that then. I just had a wounded spirit. And uh, I hadn't grown as much as I have in the Lord now. But uh, we can hurt people by doing that. And uh, people do funny things like that. I, one time we had a party, and I made an Indian costume for me, and I was very young, and it was one of those nights. We all have a good night, you know, how you just, you know you look okay. You know what I mean? Does anybody relate to, yeah, you do. You, have, you know you look better than you usually do. Well, that was one of those neat nights that the Lord allowed me to look better than usual. And a lady came dressed as a clown. And she walked up to me, she took one look at me and pulled a squirt gun out of her pocket and hit me right in the face with the squirt gun. And I, you know, I just kind of did a double take and went on with the party. And after it was all over, I thought about it and I thought, you know, she was jealous. And I thought, oh, and it, you know, I, but, and you know, about four years later, she came down to Calvary one Sunday and we went out to lunch, a group of us. She said, I have to ask your forgiveness. It was more than four years because I was young. Let's see. <laughs> it's been 10 years before that. And she, um, uh, 10 years before we first came down, would have made me 28. That's young, okay? <laughs> um, and she said, you know, at that party, she said, all these years that's bothered me. She said, you look so, and she gave a nice compliment to me. And she said, I just have to tell you, I was jealous, and that's why I did that. And I thought, ooh, you know, people do that. Now, she was honest enough, and she'd grown in the Lord. But people do things like that. Most people aren't as obvious. Most people are much more clever. They don't carry squirt guns around. <laughs> but, but be sure there's no guile. 
Get that deceit out. You're not walking in the fear of the Lord. David said, come, I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from guile and from speaking guile. Okay, secondly, depart from evil and do good. What does departing from evil mean in your life? God will have to show you in each individual life what departing from evil means to you. We heard a marvelous story a few weeks ago. Um, a lady who was saved at, um, or actually her husband was saved at Calvary, and then he um, told her about the wonders of the Lord, and she accepted the Lord. And he said to her, now you must ask God for forgiveness of sins, and you must repent. And she said, I honestly don't have anything to repent of. She said, she was in her early 40s, and she said, I have lived a very good life. And... Uh, <laughs> I see her here this morning. I started on the story. I shouldn't have told. Um, <laughs> I thought she was in Kansas. <laughs> she could tell the story much better than I. Do you care if I tell? Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> oh, and right after keeping my lips and all this. <laughs> Anyhow, she said, um, I, oh, I wish I had time. I'd rather she'd tell it. Um, she said, I really, you know, I've been a good person, and I da-da-da-da-da. And she said, but... I think this is it. As she, they were driving back to Kansas. Is that? Oh, I don't want to single her out. Driving back to Kansas. <laughs> um, however, the details work out. She did ask the Lord to show her, and she said, "I wept for three days." Isn't that beautiful. When God puts a searchlight on our lives, what happens? Are you courageous enough today? Are you? To allow God to put his searchlight on your life, I think some of us would repent a lot longer than three days. Remember David after he'd sinned so terribly. He said, oh, I repent in sackcloth and ashes. And I, I was reading where um, uh, in one of the, was it Isaiah, where the women were all to put on sackcloth. And I said to Chuck, oh, could we have a sackcloth day at Calvary? I could just see all the women come in and just their sackcloth and just on their knees just crying out to God for our nation and for our body here and for our friends and for all those people. We might have it. We won't wear sackcloth, but we will in our hearts, which is a sign of what humility and weeping and mourning before him but allow God, keep, uh, depart from evil. Let him show you the things that are wrong in your life. And do good. Do good. It isn't enough to stop doing evil. We need to do good. My mother had all kinds of platitudes and little sayings. Maybe your mother did too. And one of hers was, as she made me do work all the time, idle hands are the devil's playhouse. How many other women in here had um, their moms say that? Yeah, oh boy, idle hands are the devil's playhouse. So practice the piano or practice the clarinet or do something. You know, always kept me busy. And um, anyhow, seek, uh, depart from evil and do good. Buy up all the opportunities you can to do good. Do what God would have you to do. He'll have you do some of the most interesting things. God is so inventive and creative. He'll have you say a word to a person, to write a note, to make a call, to stop right where you are sometimes and pray. Or if you're driving, he'll have you pray for that person. He'll have you baking a cake or taking food in. I was thinking this morning about these pickets out here. And um, that's my next point. I'll go to it. Seek peace and pursue it. 
Tuesday night, we drove over to the church, and we saw, I saw those pickets, and we came in the driveway, and I was enraged. I was so angry. How many have seen them out there? Oh, everybody hasn't seen them. Well, just as well. Um, anyhow, I was furious, absolutely furious, and I just was, oh, God, you've got to do this and do this and do this. And um, I began to think about seeking peace and pursuing it, and um, I turned my car around. Chuck was in the car with me, and he did something else. He got in another car. And Sherry and I and baby Kristen parked right in the entry where the pickets were going back and forth with blind leaders of the blind on their placards. And they look like the Charlie Manson gang, if you've seen them out there. And um, Sherry and I just sat there, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. And I put the window down, and I said something to them, and they said, sure, honey. So I put the window back up because I didn't want them to call me honey. And so uh, so uh, Sharon and I just continued to pray, and then we went home. Well, my spirit was troubled. I thought, how dare they do this when people come into the gates of the Lord with their needs and all and come to worship God. And here they've got to pass these guys. And I was praying more and more. And this morning it came to me on this seek peace and pursue it. And I thought, you know, the Bible says that we're to do good to those that do evil to us and heap coals of fire on their head. Lord, do you want me to take them some kind of lunch? You know, it says feed your enemy, doesn't it? And I thought, I'm still thinking about it. (laughs) And I've got to clear it with the boss. But I wonder what they would feel. Last night as we went out, they had this big sign, and God had really done a work in my heart of bringing me into a peaceful place because we drove out, and there was this sign, and it said, Chuck is a wolf in sheep's clothing. And, uh, you know, I put down the window and um, just kind of laughed, and Chuck laughed, and we went on our way. And it was a true laugh of peace and confidence in God because God's going to take care of it, right? The wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. And we prayed at the dinner table last night, Lord, give us wisdom. Show us what to do. Every man that comes in almost gets a little violent as they come in. I've heard more men say, let me punch them out. Let me, you know. <laughs> and, and, and there is that spirit. And you know what it shows me? They have a satanic spirit. And because Oscar, if you know Oscar from Venezuela, you know, he says, they're like a bunch of little imps, <laughs> little devils. <laughs> and that's the feeling you get. And I can feel that it's a battle of, of uh, righteousness against evil. They say we follow Paul and that the Bible is not necessary and funny stuff. Our pastors have gone out and tried to talk to him and try to reason with him. And there is a very strong sense of evil. Will you agree with me in prayer that God gets them out? Let's bow our hearts right now. Father, you have not placed it in our hands to deal with these men. You see them, each service that they're out there, and you said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And we as a group of women come to you today asking that you will take care of these men who are desecrating and defiling the walks around your church. Lord, it is up to you. We rely on you and we trust in you. We would that these men would repent and come to righteousness, that their blinded eyes would be open and they would know truth. But God, we ask until that moment that you will cause them to stop doing what they are doing. Show us what our attitude would be. Help us to seek peace and pursue Pursue it because that would please your heart. Wrath and anger and malice and bitterness and all those things displease you. 
and we don't want to walk in them. We want to walk in trust and praise and watch you do the miracle, God. And we praise you in this room this morning because we sought the Lord and he heard us and he will deliver us from these men who are ranting and raving against your work. We give you thanksgiving as we bask it in the name of Jesus. Praise his precious name. So seek peace and pursue it. People do hurtful, aggravating things, and we want to defend ourselves or we want to set them straight. When you go to defend yourself or set them straight, it only causes everything to escalate and get out of hand. And uh, what we want to do is bring peace into the situation. Let God's peace ring. Seek peace and pursue it. That means go for it. Run after it. One of the translations says work at it. You know, bringing peace to situations lots of times is hard, hard work. So seek peace and pursue it. The rest of the chapter, I want you to read at home. Beautiful, beautiful promise of the eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open unto the cry, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. I want you to think about that. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And then the 18th verse I want to leave you with this morning. <clears throat> Pardon me, 18th and 19th. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and save as such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of all of them. This morning, if you are not walking in the fear of the Lord, if you are not pleasing his heart by praising him continually, and I'm not being ridiculous about that. I mean, you can't every minute utter words of praise. But down in your heart, there should be this attitude of praise and thanksgiving. And I think also, if you're not walking in that place of trusting him, I want you to bow your heads this morning, and I want us all together to pray one for the other, that God will cause us to walk in that place of praise and trust and fear of him, which will cause us to depart from evil, to hate sin with a perfect hatred. As David said, with our mouths, we're not to sin, we're not to have deceit in our spirit, and we're not to, um, we're to seek peace and pursue it. And God wants us to walk in those things today. Come, my children, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord, he said. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, and blessed is the man that trusts in him. And he said, I'll praise the Lord at all time. I will bless the Lord and praise him. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. As the Holy Spirit deals with you in this closing moment this morning, I want you to be completely honest towards God. If one of these three places is more outstanding than the other to you. If your need's greater in one of these three, will you confess it to him this morning? And will you ask him to deal with that place in your life, to bring you to that place of praise, to bring you to that place of trust, or to that place of godly fear? Shall we bow our hearts before him? Oh, Father, I feel so strong in this morning that there is a battle being waged in this room with some who do not want to give up their love of a certain sin. And I agree with the women out there who walk in this fear of you that this daughter of yours who's stumbling along in this immoral way will this morning ask you to give her a hatred for that sin. We just agree on it this morning that she will be delivered out of this through asking you to put that in her heart. 
Don't let her walk in this darkness anymore and claim fellowship with you. But, Lord, let her rid her life of that through the work of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit and her willingness to surrender her life unto you. Help her to realize this morning that this grieves and breaks your heart and help her to desire to please your heart by giving this up. Lord, let her also see the consequences of walking in this sin and what disastrous things are ahead for her if she continues in this. Set her free by your spirit. Lord, we're agreeing on that. If you're agreeing with me that God will set her free, would you just say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Thank you. I pray for the fearful hearts this day. Oh, those who are in circumstances and they're saying, oh, God isn't helping. Open their eyes to see the chariots of the Lord all around them. Oh, help them to walk in trust and belief and know that the Almighty God reigneth, that he hears their cry and he sees their poverty of spirit, and he wants to deliver them out of all their troubles if they'll just partake of that trust. Oh, trust in him, children, this morning. Just lift up your hearts and trust him. Oh, we just stand against this attitude of fear in the name of Jesus. Oh, he's here to heal the brokenhearted and restore the marriage. He's here to do a work in your heart today. Just let your heart be released from all fear and just take the word today and stand on it and believe it. Lord, we pray for these husbands who are walking in such sin today. We ask this morning that you will release them by your power and by your might. Oh, praise God. We feel a real release. Praise the name of Jesus. Let his praise be in your mouth. Don't be afraid to praise him this morning. Speak forth his praises. Tell him that you love him and give him thanks. Crystal, will you come and we'll sing some praises unto him just as we get ready to go this morning. But I want you to speak praises unto him aloud. Just say, Father, I love you. Jesus, I love you. If you've never said it before, try it. Taste and see. The Lord loves it. Our little Kristen, our grandpa walks up to her and he says, Oh, is this the little Christian who I love? It is, it is. And a smile breaks out from ear to ear. So I decided to try just it is, it is. And I walked up to her and I said, Oh, it is, it is. And the smile. She loves to be told she's loved. And she's only two months old. She loves it. Don't you love to be told you're loved? Anybody in here hate to be told you're loved? <laughs> you love to be loved. We all do. We need it. We want it. <clears throat> do you think being created in God's image that he's any different? He wants to hear you speak it. We are so bashful in a group about telling him we love him. I love you, Lord. Oh, come on. Let's just tell him we love him. If I'd been bashful with Chuck and going, I love you, do you think he'd have married me? He wants somebody to go, oh, I love you. I can't live without you. You're marvelous. You know? That's, oh, my goodness. And uh, I wanted to be told the same thing. You know, weren't you that way? Aren't you that way? You want to be told your love. Do you think God's heart longs for it any less than yours? I think he longs for it much more. I think we shall tell God we love him more than we tell anybody else on earth. We should constantly, let's just close our hearts and just tell him, speak the words out this morning. Your own way, whatever you want to, but speak words of love out to him. Just love you, Lord, and I praise you for your faithfulness unto me. 
I love you, Jesus. And I thank you for your goodness and your grace. Oh, I praise you. Give me thanks. Hmm. The Spirit of the Lord is so heavy on my heart to just exhort you to speak out your love for him. I don't know why. I've never done it like this in this group before. But it is so strong, I can't seem to move away from it. Will you speak out so this will go? <laughs> I love you, Jesus. And I thank 